The reading's taken from Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. The Jews and the law. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right, because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can ignore the and teach the children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourselves? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, the, gentle, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Shall we say a prayer for Alistair before he speaks to us? We thank you, Lord, for your words. We pray that just like the bread of Jesus, we may take all the words into our bodies and that our hearts may give out your love and your knowledge and your faith how that will save us. We pray, Lord, for the words of Alistair, that we will hear the, your words, that we will see your beauty in the world, and that we will be able to speak your words, not ours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jill. And uh, I've, I've got a word of knowledge here. So for those who are visiting or not Christians, um, a word of knowledge is a sense of someone feeling that the Lord's placed on somewhere a word for a person in the room. And as Christians, um, I believe in words of knowledge. I think they're, they're biblical. Uh, but we, so we, we don't despise prophecies here at St. Andrew's Church, but we discern all things. Just because someone brings it doesn't mean we accept it automatically. We discern and think about it. So this is the word of knowledge. I feel that there is someone here this morning, you feel like you are in a deep, deep, dark well. It's dark and damp in there. Yes, you can see the light and that there is a ladder at the, to the top of the well. However, it's damp and slippery on the ladder, you can't, and you can't access it. If you cry out to Jesus, he cares deeply about you and will carry you out of the well. He adores you and wants to set you free this morning. So this morning we are carrying on with our series uh, through uh, Romans. So if you're visiting this morning, one of the key things to know when you turn up here to St. Andrews, for a good chunk of the year, I just pick a book of the Bible, and what we do here is we just look at it passage by passage by passage. I don't domesticate it, so that means the really controversial text, the texts that are deemed as offensive in society or difficult or maybe boring for some or whatever, we do the lot. I don't domesticate it, lock, stock, and barrel. And so we're simply working our way through Romans. And the reason that we do passage by passage, those that are regulars here know this, is that my dream, prayer, and hope is that not that I would speak, but the Lord would speak. That actually, Alistair doesn't really have anything much to contribute on anything, really, but the Spirit quickening the Word 
if the whole counsel of God's word is brought, can do wonders, and that's why uh, we do this. And this morning's passage, I have to say, you know, you sort of wonder about Paul winning friends and influencing people. He did write the letter to Romans, for those that are in the know, as part as a letter to uh, give an awareness of what the gospel was, and in part to prepare his, his trip to Spain. And with the stuff that he was writing to the church in Romans, you wonder whether he got even a single penny from them, because this morning's text is pretty full on. He's right in their faces. Uh, and so I have called this morning's message, and it's provocatively titled, you can throw tomatoes at me if you wish, The Terrible Plight of the Religious Person. The Terrible Plight of the, religi of the Religious Person. So a wise person once said about me, uh, a number of years ago, and it's worked out to be quite a lot of truth. And it said, Alistair, everyone has blind spots, areas where they are hurting and wounding others, sometimes terribly so. But what's worse is they are blind to it. And uh, so in, in, tw in 20 years of ministry, there's sometimes I've you know, gone and done things and left a trail of destruction behind me and then um, not been aware of it until quite a lot later because I was blind to it. And so one of the things from, about religious people is that they often are blinded to their own sense of, repentant, of, of, of their, their need of repentance, the extent of their brokenness. And so their plight is so terrible because they deeply feel as part of their identity that they're okay, they're one of the good people and would be offended if they were told otherwise. They have an armour that makes them resistant to the reality of their own sin and their desperate need of the gospel. They know the law. They go to church. They know religion. But it has not built them up in humility, as Nelly was talking about this morning. It has not built them up in humility and repentance. It has not given them a deep sense of their own brokenheartedness over their sin, but has puffed them up in knowledge and judging of others. So today we're looking at the terrible plight of the sincere religious person who is blinded, to their own need, their desperate need of Jesus Christ. So as you all know, many of you all know who've been in the know and working away through Romans, there were two groups in the church in Rome. And Paul had an eye on both of them, but in particular his laser focus was on the Jewish background believers, which of course he was one of them. So you had these two groups in the, in the church in Rome. You had the pagans. And they had come to faith in Christ from all of these sordid background. And so that list of sins there in Romans 1, which is offensive to many ears today, that was the life that they were living. And then they had a radical encounter with Jesus and they were coming to church. But there was also, as you guys know, those who are regulars will know this, there was the Jewish background believers. They loved the Torah. They loved going to synagogue and now to the church. They had grown up with this whole faith gig thing. And they thought their lives were pretty good. And so in chapter 1, Paul follows the route that most rabbis of his era does, condemning the ancient Roman world. It's very similar to the way the rabbis were doing it back in the day. And then, however, he does something surprising. In chapter 2, he turns out onto the religious people and he makes this claim, you are just as bad. Now, no Jewish rabbi would do that. You are just as bad. And he starts to build his case of damning religious people with the sins. And then this morning, he really comes uh, significantly clear about basically uh, the religious sinner and the sins that they are dealing with. So let's get into it without further ado. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law. So he's, he's really focusing on this part. 
These are people, he's identifying God's covenantal people. These are people who think they're God's special people. They are lovely. I'm loved by God. I'm really special. And I, I am relying on God's law. I just love taking my Bible to church. I just love that. This is me. So he's identifying them. And he says, and you boast about your special relationship with him. Me and God, we just have a great relationship. And you know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. Ah, oh, well, I've been to Sunday school or to the synagogue, you know, depending on the first century or translating it into today. I've grown up knowing all of these things about God's word. You know what he wants. These are people, in the Jewish, in the days of the first century, it's worth noting this. There's some people, the Jewish people love the Bible so much that some of them have memorized the entire Old Testament, the entire Torah. Can you imagine that? That is serious effort. And Jesus was saying, of these Pharisees, you search the scriptures diligently. Paul, or Saul, before he encountered Christ, was zealous for the traditions and the scriptures. Paul goes on. You are convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people lost in darkness. Here we are. We're a light in Rome to all the pagans going to hell, right? This is the thing. He's just laying it on, lost in darkness, going to eternity. But we're the, you know, for the Jewish people, we're a nation of priests. We've got God's law. We're a light for those in darkness going, and this is their calling. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you the complete knowledge and truth. We've got the answers. We know it all. This was the ones he was identifying with, right? And then, I know, and, and if you're not shocked by this, I mean, we're a conservative sort of evangelical church. I'm one of the most conservative Presbyterian ministers in the PCNZ, making friends and influencing them everywhere I go, not always. But... As I look through this text, I'm going, oh, that's me. Well, that, that's me as well. Yeah, I'm up here teaching. Yeah, that's me. I love the Bible. Oh, yes, I love carrying on. I've got a big Bible. Sometimes I like carrying it around. You know, sometimes just show them this is the Bible, right? Well, then hear what Paul says. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? It flips the point and makes the case. And Paul's argument about religious people is really simple. They don't practice what they preach. Religious people do not practice what they preach. If you teach others, Alistair, up free, I'm up here teaching you now, do you, do you actually do what you teach? Not always. They have a standard that they agree with, that they love, and they judge others by it. But if they closely examine their life, says Paul, they would see they failed the very standards that they love, teach, and judge others about. And then Paul comes up with this statement here. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. I have wondered how many people have blasphemed God's name because of me, because of my failure to uphold God's word. I have to say, it's interesting on this little text here, the scholars, for those that love you know, geeking out and nerding out on this, the scholars actually get a bit confused at this point because Paul's list of sins that he picks is not the ones that would probably move a Jewish uh, a person who's of a Jewish background to repentance and faith. In fact, they're the very sins that go, probably, no, I didn't know. So you know, have a look at them. 
Uh, do, you, do you commit? A, do you steal? Well, probably the Jewish people hear that. No, no, no. Didn't steal this morning. Not good on that. Did you commit adultery? Let me check my gender calendar last night. No, didn't commit adultery. Uh, do you stealing from pagan temples? No, I'm not going into a pagan temple later today to steal. I'm good, good, good. Thanks, Paul. No, done the spiritual checklist. Clear. And so the scholars are going, what? Why did he pick such a grotesque sin list? I mean, if he said sort of spiritual pride or things like that, that you know, which pride is a bad sin, a very bad sin, but then they'd probably be guilty. They might have stirred them up. But he picks this grotesque sin list. And so scholars are sort of wondering, why? Well, I don't know, but I have pondered this over this last week, and I've come to the humbling conclusion that many religious people are guilty of grotesque sins. And often the ones who are the most conservative, the ones that proclaim it, are guilty of the worst. And I'm pointing at myself as a, you know, as a, conservative, a part of the conservative branch. The Catholic Church, for example, we're all aware of it. High, at high levels, a number of pedophile rings. Imagine that. And, high, and some of the orders were overtaken. Whole orders had to be closed down, just filled with pedophiles. Well, you say, I'm not a Catholic, I'm all good. In 2007, there was a Southern Baptist who said to the Southern Baptist, we need to look at ourselves about how we're going in the South. And he was laughed at and said, we're Baptists, we're not Catholics, we're all good. Reports just come out the last few days of decades of abuse and cover-up. And abuse of women done by conservative leaders and numbers of ex-presidents of the Baptist Union. We say, I'm not a US Baptist. What about New Zealand? One of the, I love the missionaries. I love the missionaries that came out to New Zealand that brought the gospel. I'm not banging, banging on at them. And they, they, many of them sacrificed their lives to bring the gospel to the people of New Zealand. And we're loved by the Maori people. But it is worth noting that those young men, there they were in England with missionary college, young men, enthused, full of enthusiasm for the gospel. Some of them, one of them, when he arrived, he went off the rails so badly, he was involved in gun running and trading muskets for cash and, in the, and those muskets were involved in the slaughter. You imagine per, turning up to a village where the one's got clubs and spears and, they, and another group's armed with muskets and just massacres them. Missionary did that. That's pretty grotesque, isn't it? Or another one uh, uh, ended up, he took, took a fancy to all the young Maori women in the village and had a harem. I'm sure that when he was going for missionary college, he wasn't thinking that. Crazy. So maybe is it crazy it makes me sound... Maybe actually there was a syndicate of religious people who were planning to plot to steal from a temple back in the day. Implausible, yes. But given the sorts of crazy evil stuff that religious people do, is it impossible? No. Then I th thought of myself. But by, the, but by the grace of God, there go I. If I look at the worst moments in my life, I've come close to divorce, destroying my family over nothing. I've got no right to look at others when I myself have got a lot to teach. Strip, look at under the surface. I'm not so different from the people who are divorced, broken relationships, or whatever. And in fact, my story isn't over yet. There's plenty of time yet to have an ignoble end. I mean, look at Solomon, right? For those who followed Solomon, know Solomon. He got the visions, he had the wisdom, ended up with idol worship. And, and if, if you take him as the author of Ecclesiastes, which I tend to, he was pretty cynical. There's, 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 this is humbling. If you're not humbled by this, then you're not understanding this. If you're a religious person, this text, Paul was going full on at these religious people 
The more you love the Bible, the more you should be convicted by this text this morning. So perhaps the reason that Paul mentions this over-the-top sin list is because the church in Rome was guilty of the very things mentioned. But they had a cover-up. That's possible. Maybe I'm on my own thinking that, but it's possible. Or B, whatever Paul meant, whatever reason he chose this unlikely sin list to indict the religious sinner, this is the truth, that all people, religious or non-religious, fall short of the glory of God and need Jesus Christ. Is this true? I am saved not by church attendance, by my love of the Bible, by doctrines. I am saved by Jesus Christ, and I desperately need a Savior this morning. Do you? Reading the Bible, loving the Bible, coming along, being involved in ministries. That doesn't cut it. I call this message the terrible plight of the religious person. Why is the religious person's plight so severe and so terrible? I think it's because they can, or we can, or at least I can, often have, according to Jesus, a good shop front window. The the shop front window Jesus talks about is those wonderful old tombs, whitewashed, looking, you know, dignified and beautiful and well-maintained, you know, and you could pass by and you see these beautiful uh, whitewashed tombs. And Jesus says, look, you look great on the outside, but when God sees the heart and the motivation, he sees the smell of death. And that, that is often the case for religious people. They, they, there's a sense of they look good, but there's brokenness within. Back in the 1990s, I was a caregiver uh, at a rest home called Nomi Courts uh, in Nelson. And uh, I had the privilege of knowing a number of World War II veterans. And this was one of them, was a, he was a British, and he, after the war he'd emigrated out to New Zealand. And when he was about 20, I believe it was D-Day, it may have been another battle, but... but uh, before the battle, the company commander got all a couple of hundred of them or whatever, the number that was in the company, and he got them standing there at attention. He just levelled with them. He said, lads, I've got, I've got news for you. Most of us are going to be dead by the end of the day. That's how it is. We've got this objective. We're the first wave on to the, to the goal, and most of us are not going to make it. You need to be braced to realise that most of the men around you are going to be dead, but you need, to, you need to leave them there for the medics later on, press on to the goal. And he said he was standing like in the middle of the rows, looking around with sort of the edge of his eyes. The, the word he used uh, was the word for illegitimate children. It starts with the letter B. You guys know that word? Yeah. Yes, yes, right. He said, oh, there's so- sorry, B, all around me, they're going to die. But he never once thought it would be him. He thought the rest of the company would be like, well, that, that's screwed. But I'm okay. And what well, he actually was okay because he did survive. But that is often the religious person. Oh, these poor people out there. But they're blinded by their own state. And where they are, their attitude of the heart. That's the terrible plight of a religious person. So let's have a look at what scriptures say. There's so many of them. If people who really read the Bible will find, this is, these are just a few of the many statements. Um, why do you choose? Well, yes, all humans fall. I forgot about that. Didn't put that on, but that's there. Yep. All right. There's terrible plight. Isaiah 29. And so the Lord says, these people say they're mine. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. And this is a Malachi, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's army, and will not accept your offerings. Close the church! Finish up! I wish that we'd have another COVID pandemic so the churches could be in lockdown, says God, because their worship ain't cutting it. I mean, it's really hard stuff. We're saying, well, that's the Old Testament. Okay, well, uh, this is in the New Testament. There were seven churches in Revelation mentioned. 
five of them were called to repentance. Uh, this is one. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Do we love each other? Do we love the Lord? Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from your place among the churches. Call to repentance, failure to heed it, brings judgment. It's, real, it's a biblical principle. And this is another one. This is the letter to the angel of the church at Sardis. This is the message to the one who is the seven-souled spirit to God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do. Now I know you have a reputation for being alive. That's religiosity, right? You've got the good shop front window, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly and as unexpected as a thief. Repent or judgment. The, the, so here's a question for statistically minded people. Are we, as a church in New Zealand and in the West, do you think we are morally better, the same or worse than the seven churches on average in Revelation? Just think about that. You go to an average church. Are we better? Like, yeah, we're smashing it. We're, we're, we're extra holy, right? We're all the same. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it good, right? Or are we worse? If you, I, I think I'm being charitable here. I think we're about the same or worse, all right? If that's the case, statistically speaking, if Jesus was to write a letter to St. Andrews, there's a five out of seven chance he would say repent or judgment. Simple as that. Just intellectually. I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate it here. And, but that's reality. And then Jesus himself, Jesus himself talking about what will happen to religious people on Judgment Day? Not everyone who calls to me out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter on Judgment Day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So a question to ask ourselves is, where are we at? That's what Paul was trying to stir within the religious believers. And so one place to start, if you're wanting a, a raw truth, if you're married, you can always ask your spouse. I found my spouse would give me a pretty good reality check about where things are at. I don't know if you guys are there. And so if, you're this, if you are practicing lawlessness, if there is an, so I've said this, is, is there any area of my life Catherine, that I'm willfully sinning in, practicing lawlessness, all while attending church, preaching, taking communion? And if you're afraid to ask that question, then perhaps that is a really good sign that you need to repent. Or if you're not married, you could ask the Holy Spirit. Who's asked the Holy Spirit? All right, you've got a problem. Lord, do you have a problem about this? And who's heard an answer really quickly? Yes? Kevin's nodding his head, and Kevin looks pretty sanctified to me, and some others there. I, 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 that's you just say, Lord... What's, is there an issue here? And generally speaking, God will tell you pretty quick. Right? But remember, the plight of the, what makes it terrible for the plight of the religious person is they're often more concerned about the outward appearance, about going through the motions. It's really, really valuable to them. And they don't want to examine the brokenness in their heart. And Paul was really trying to hone in on that. I want to say there's great news, though, for the religious person, same as there's for everyone else in Geraldine. There is hope for people who are attending church whose heart is far from God. If your heart is touched, know this. It's really simple. Repent. 
Turn to Jesus, and it's not in front of me or in a group. This is not, it's not give money to church. There's nothing external. This is about a personal walk with the Lord, right? That's what we're about. And so you can say in the quietness, it doesn't have to be here. You can be like, yeah, I'm sweet, I'm fine, shake hands, do the coffee. But home, you go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. That's the way to do it. Go home to the quietness of your room when no one sees. Or go for a walk and say, Lord, I am practicing lawlessness within my marriage, with my children. I know the commands. I've grown up with I'm leading ministries. I'm teaching. I'm involved. I'm a member. But I am failing you. And you have convicted me and told me I humble my heart. And I pray I'd walk fruits of repentance out. My prayer is this, is that if non-Christians turned up to the door, they would not find religious judgmental people. They would find people who are walking in humility and brokenheartedness of their own sin, extending God's grace to those in this town. That's what we're about. That's what we have to be about. And may the Lord start with me because I'm a hypocrite. You who call yourselves Jews or Christians, religious, relying on God's law, yep. And you boast about your special relationship. Yes, I've done that. You know what he wants. Yes, I do. You know what is right because you've taught his law. I'm teaching it now. Yes, I do know. You are convinced you're a guide for the blind, a light for people lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach the children the ways of God. You're certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. I do believe that. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Practice what you preach. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn adultery, but do you use items stolen from the pagan temple? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Gracious Lord, we pray here at this church that you would be merciful to us, that we would deal with our sin to you, a righteous and kind judge, and that we would walk in humility in this town, that when people, non-Christians, walk in the door, they would see real, authentic relationships, real things. We wouldn't be playing games. And that out of the fruit of that real relationship with you, they, they would see you. They would see that you're at work in our lives. Oh, Lord, come and change my heart and the hearts of this church. I ask this in Jesus' name.